Pastor Xavier Reese and the family of God. Primarily, you should see yourself as one with all Christians, whether they're Baptist, Presbyterian. The only requirement is that they truly are born again and they're walking in obedience with God. Then we are in Christ. In Christ. The phrase speaks of a complete unity and oneness regardless of all other differences. It is in Christ, Jew and Gentile, one. God doesn't care who you are. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Can you imagine what it was like to live in the early church? What were the apostles like? What kind of format did they follow? Well, one thing we do know is that their standard of truth was the same as ours, God's Word. Today, as Pastor Xavier continues his series from the book of Ephesians, he reminds us of the importance of patterning our faith after the Word of God. Let's listen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. The message is entitled, Greetings from Paul. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice first, the author of the letter is said to be Paul. His name comes from the Latin meaning small or little. You remember that Paul, prior to his conversion, his name was Saul. That was his Hebrew name, as many in those days had both Greek and Hebrew names. Saul means ask or inquire or request. But again, what an incredible combination of these two names in view of God's call in his life. He was first called Saul, ask, and the second was Paul, little one. Ask, little one. And that's really what God wants to bring us to, to that place where we see ourselves as we really are. As we compare ourselves to each other, we might pick someone who's worse than us, so we end up on top. But when we compare ourselves to God, then we get a true perspective of the measure of ourselves. Very, very small. Notice, secondly, that the authority in which Paul presents himself is an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word apostle, as you know, means one sent out or commissioned. He had been called by God to communicate the gospel, and he's using it in virtue of his authority, not to impress, not to push his weight around, but to simply identify his position. Often this is done today in letters. And someone from a corporation may write and say, you know, I, John Williams, the director of General Motors Corporation. So that the letter that's received is received in the authority of the man who is writing it. And the perspective of what is read is perceived through the authority behind the letter. And that's all that Paul is doing here. So Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the recipients of the epistle are also given to us. First, Paul identifies them as saints who are in Ephesus. The word saint, as you know, means holy one. The word has the idea of being set apart. The word sanctification, sanctified, holy, saint, all come from the same root. Paul calls the Ephesians saints nine times in the epistle. Nine times. 
Paul addresses the believers in Christ as saints by virtue of their new birth, and they had become set apart and devoted to God. He calls them saints. He opens up many of his epistles with the word saints. Saints are not those who are canonized. I came out of the Catholic background. To me, a saint was someone who had died long ago, and they had been affirmed to have been instruments of miracles, and therefore they were canonized as saints, and now I could pray to them, and I can put them around my neck or put them on my little altar, and then they would intercede for me. And then I was born again and found out that that's not what saints were. The Bible says that you are a saint. I am a saint. I am one who is set apart. I am one who is now devoted to God. The saints are the living, not the dead. There's only two categories of people in the world, saints and ain'ts. No other. Now, if God calls you a saint, that's okay. If you start calling yourself Saint John or something, we're going to have some problems. So understand how the word is used. Paul identifies them also as faithful. The word faithful appears 66 times in the New Testament, and the word in this context does not describe those who are true, loyal, or trustworthy towards Christ. The word describes those who had believed and placed their trust in Christ. So in other words, both of these words are complementary of each other. They were saints set apart by virtue of believing in Christ. That's what the Greek says. It's not a congratulations or an applause or a compliment to their faithfulness, but simply that they had believed. The word describes how they came to be saints, by their decision to believe. There's no other way you can become a saint apart from believing in Jesus Christ. He gives the same identity to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 1, verse 2. Now notice, thirdly, Paul identifies these saints and faithful in Christ Jesus. And here's the key, one of the key phrases to the epistle. The phrase speaks of a sphere of life, a source of life, a dependency of life. Those believing in Christ were intimately connected with him. As much as a baby is connected to a mother for nine months, that's the intimate connection between you, myself, and Christ. The phrase appears 164 times in Paul's writings. It is a key phrase, a favorite phrase, a very valuable phrase in our relationship to Jesus Christ. Throughout the epistle, there are other synonymous phrases that are used interchangeably within Christ. In him, in whom, through him, by him, they're all synonymous, pointing to Christ. Now, the phrase faithful speaks of those who have believed and received Christ as their Savior and Lord for justification before God on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ, which he will tell us in chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
Romans 5, 1 and 2, justified by grace. God is no longer at war with us. We're no longer at war with him. That happened by believing in Christ and the efficiency of his blood sacrifice. The phrase speaks of a complete unity and oneness regardless of all other differences, be they denominational, cultural, racial, gender. Having broken down the middle wall of separation, as it says in chapter 2, verse 14, there is no difference any longer. There's no longer Jew or Gentile. It is in Christ, Jew and Gentile, one. God doesn't care who you are. Primarily, you should see yourself as one with all Christians, whether they're Baptist, Presbyterian. The only requirement is that they truly are born again and they're walking in obedience with God. Then we are brothers and sisters. We are in Christ. That's the common denominator. Regardless of who you are, what has happened, where you've been, he is the one that makes us one. It speaks of the place of blessing and security. He'll tell us about the blessings as he moves on, beginning chapter 1, verse 3. Spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. John 15, verse 5 says that he was the vine, we're the branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And if we abide with him, we bring forth fruit. It speaks of their position in Christ by their own decision to be born again. Saints and believers. You are saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 9. There's nothing we have to boast. Now, this position of being set apart in Christ is our position in Christ. But the Bible also teaches about our setting apart that it becomes progressive. Our sanctification is progressive as we grow in Christ. We continue to develop, to mold and shape our image into that of Christ as the Spirit of God works in us. So you have your positional sanctification by your decision, and then you have progressive sanctification as you grow in Christ. Very important. We are sealed with the Spirit. Chapter 1, verse 13 tells us. We are members of the household of God. Chapter 2, verse 19 tells us. We are gifted according to grace. Ephesians 4, 7 tells us. And we are to be filled continually with the Spirit of God Chapter 5, verse 18 tells us. This epistle has so many things to tell us regarding our blessings in Christ. You and I are saints set apart for God and for his purpose. In fact, Paul later is going to tell us in chapter 2, verse 10, that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And the word is poema. We get our word poem from it. We are the message of God to the world. There are many things he wants you to be involved in and to do. We are called to trust and believe in Jesus completely in his spiritual blessings, chapter 1, verse 3. In his illuminating power, chapter 1, verse 19. For all things have been given to me pertain to life and godliness, according to Christ Jesus, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4 says. All things, will I make use of them? Will I make myself available to them? Will I apply them? Will I die to self? Will I say, you're first and I'm last? Time will reveal that. And I will have a choice every time. We are the wisest of men and women only when we abide and live in Christ. 
no other place. Paul was writing to the saints who had believed at Ephesus. Now notice thirdly, Paul indicates the regards. Verse 2. First, Paul declares grace to his hearers. The word grace, as you know, means unmerited favor with the idea of beauty. It was the common Greek greeting. He said, Charis, we say good morning. We're communicating a desire that they have a good day. It can be a rainy, stormy day, lightning out there, and we walk by somebody who says, hey, good morning. Now, they never think that we're making a statement on the day, or they would say, what are you talking about? It's raining. But we're communicating our desire for them to have a good day, to, to, to be well, to have peace, to, to not be with troubles. This is the Greek reading. The word grace appears 12 times in this epistle. It conveys beauty and charm, giving joy to the hearer as well as the beholder. It is that which is undeserved without claim or expectancy. It is an act that is beyond the ordinary course that is expected. It is the ever-flowing and constant supply of God to the believer. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. Overflowing, Paul says to the Romans, where sin abounds, much more does grace abound and superabound. You go down to the Pacific Ocean, you take a five-gallon bucket, and you fill it up, you just decrease the Pacific Ocean by five gallons. You take all the sinners that have ever come to Christ to this very day, and you put it up against His grace, and you have not affected it one iota. It's immutable. It doesn't increase, it doesn't decrease. It just is like him. The word in its classical meaning is thankfulness. And it's translated thanksworthy and acceptable thanks throughout the New Testament. You see, God died for his enemies. And when his enemies come to know him as Lord and Savior, they are truly thankful. They truly understand grace that they didn't deserve. We are saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Nothing to boast about. We stand by grace, Romans 5, 2. We receive gifts by God's grace, Romans 12, 6. We are sanctified in God's grace to be strong, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. You begin with grace, you finish with grace. What did Paul tell the Galatians? Are you so foolish, Galatians, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now going to be made perfect in the flesh? The Spirit is synonymous of grace. He's called the Spirit of grace in the book of Hebrews. Oh, be also careful not to remove yourself from grace. To not get off into legalism. To not get off into permissiveness. Abide in grace. Notice, secondly, Paul declares peace to his readers. The word peace means rest or quietness. The word comes from the verb to join, to set at one again, implying a disjointed relationship or condition out of harmony with God. And now God has joined it back together by the work of Jesus Christ. It is the usual Hebrew greeting, shalom, which implies 
that which is meant for a person's highest good. You desire that God's blessings be upon them. You desire that they would be right with God, that God would bless them, that they would be in health and everything else. The word indicates total confidence that rests in God despite of the circumstance or situation that is available to the believer. Remember Philippians 4, 6 through 7? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known unto God. And the peace of God that pass all understanding shall rule your heart and minds. He shall keep you. The proverb says much the same thing. So this peace does not speak of perfect conditions. One man made a picture to exemplify the peace of God. And in the backdrop, you saw the ocean just tempestuous and the waves just casting up sand and everything else, seaweed. And in the cleft of the rock there, you saw a little dove in this nest, just sitting real quiet, real peaceful. It's in the midst of the trouble that this peace comes. It's in the midst of the trouble that the peace is verified. It's the peace of God for life. We're not talking about the peace with God when we became born again. This is the peace of God for our lives, for our situations. It is distinct from the world's peace, even as Jesus said in John 14, 27, I leave you my peace, not as the world gives. In the world you'll have tribulations, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Peace is always the result of grace. The order is never the reverse in Scripture. If you want the peace of God, you must come through the grace of God. And if you get to the point where you're not so graceful, you'll lose the peace in, in equal proportion. <laughs> you become contentious. Notice thirdly, Paul indicates to his hearers the source and channel of these two blessings. The source is from God, our Father. Common ground here. I have no closer relationship to the Father than you. Our Father. He is the source. He is the one who sent his own son to die in order to make this peace with God and the peace of God possible. The channel is from Jesus Christ, the mediator. He is called in chapter 1, verse 6, to the praise and the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved or the son of his love. He is the channel. He is the high priest of heaven. No one else can bring us to the Father. No one else can stand in the gap. No one else can be the umpire. He is the only one. And notice the word from. It applies to both father and son, making them, quote, equal. The Godhead is a mystery, but clearly throughout Scripture, there is a distinction between the three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and yet they are all declared to be God. One God, three persons. The mystery of the Trinity. I don't understand it completely, but I know what it's taught about in the scriptures. And I accept it. One day we will find out. Until then, we believe what it says. It's beyond our understanding. But yet they're all one. And yet they're all God. 
And they're all involved in the work of salvation and the work of sanctification of the saint. Grace has been used in, as an acrostic to express the following. Great riches at Christ's expense. Remember grace that way. Great riches at Christ's expense. We are to know that God is able to make all grace abound towards us. 2 Corinthians 9.9 9 says, You may find yourself in a most difficult situation this morning. Perhaps you're a young lady and you find yourself pregnant. And you've got a decision to make. Do I abort it? Do I keep the baby? Perhaps you're a Christian and you've been busted for things that you shouldn't have been involved in. Now what do you do? Perhaps you are contemplating leaving your wife or husband, running off with your secretary. You've got to grab a hold of grace. It's able to make you strong, to abound towards you. We are to be strong in grace, 2 Timothy 2.1 says. And only in grace can we be strong. Apart from grace, we just manifest our weaknesses. We give in to them. We are to grow in grace, 2 Peter 3.18 says. As I grow in my life in Christ, I grow most graceful because I receive more grace and I understand grace more. And the more you receive grace, the more you'll be able to give grace. But never confuse grace as being permissiveness. It is not permissiveness, nor should it ever compromise with the standards of the Word of God. Wherever there is genuine repentance and true brokenness, grace should be totally given. That's the condition. God never gave you grace until you acknowledged your sin, you repented of your sin, and you came broken. Once those two things happen, grace should never be withheld. But do not give grace to those who are trodden underfoot the gospel, casting your pearls before the swine. That is not what God teaches. Repentance is the key. We are to speak with grace. Ephesians 4.29 tells us, Oh, a kind word turns away wrath. Our mouth gets us in trouble. James tells us. He speaks about it every chapter. He mentions it. In one chapter, he dedicates a complete chapter to it. Fire little member. We control horses with a little bit. We guide big old ships with a little rudder. And this little thing whips us every time. It sets the world of fire. We are to experience the peace of God to rule our hearts as we yield to the grace of God, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It's by grace that we have access. It is grace that brings about peace. No other way does it come. And so Paul indicates his regard of grace and peace to the Ephesians. This is Paul's greeting and salutation to the Ephesians. The writer is Paul. The recipients were the saints at Ephesus, and the regards were grace and peace. Those same things are for us in Christ Jesus. 
It is as Paul is writing to us, and he desires that we embrace grace and peace for our lives. Pastor Xavier Reese and the importance of living life by God's standards and not by our own desires. Now you can pick up a copy of today's message, Greetings from Paul. It's available on CD for only $4. And this also includes what Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So that title again is Greetings from Paul, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address, once again, is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This helps us gauge the impact of this outreach in your area. How much are you worth? Well, you might be surprised to learn it's probably much more than you think. Find out more when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 